Okay, ready? Pretty good? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, welcome to the Professor and Barney podcast featuring Tom and Nick, a branch of the narrow world of sports empire. <laughs> growing. <laughs> Slowly. Uh, how is everybody? Uh, let's start with good. you, Barney. How are you, mate? <laughs> Tommy's losing stuff in his background. Uh, and... I couldn't be happier about seeing that fall down for Tommy. Uh, everything's going too well for what him. What was it, so, Andrew? What was uh, it for it our was, people that can't see? What was that? Who, I, I don't know which... Uh, was it a Raptors jersey there? It, it was uh, actually, quite fortuitously, it was a Kawhi Leonard Raptors jersey who he doesn't. Ah. He actually doesn't play for them anymore. So Yeah, Kawhi's yeah. like, I'm out of here. Yeah, can, <laughs> and what did he ever do in Toronto anyway, eh? Uh, yeah, just a chip. Yeah. Why would you go to Toronto? Chips. Mm, chips. We've obviously gotten very sidetracked. <laughs> Tommy just lost another jersey. Another jersey just fell from Tommy's background. Um, uh, and well, right. I can tell you right now, someone's not got a job tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Consuela in this economy. Leave her yeah. alone. No, it wasn't. It was her husband. He anyway. Just, papers came through. Romeo, He's he's gone. <laughs> Uh, if you are wondering what's happening, we are doing a vodcast mm. now as well as a podcast. So you can get on and see yes. basically all of Tommy's jerseys he's hung up in the background are falling down. Um, we've all gone to a bit of an effort. Uh, Barney, you are now sitting in one hell of a leather chair. Uh, look, yes, where did this come from? Very comfortable. Uh, an estate sale, uh, I believe. Um, did and... they come from an NRL ex-boss's office, by any chance? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> It does have Greenberg written underneath it, so it could be. Could be. And why does it have a hole cut out of the middle? Yeah. Like underneath. Oh. I thought you meant in the back where the knife went through. Yeah, there's a lot of holes just all over that chair, really. Yeah. It's like an upright massage chair. Yeah. Now, Nick, how are you, mate, before we do Very get good. into the Todd Greenberg saga? Mm, no, very good. Uh, as you see, uh, if you do go onto YouTube or Facebook and wherever you see the vodcast version of this, I've gone to a huge effort. Uh, last week I did the 2016 Racing Pigeon Champion um, uh, picture above me and this time I've replaced that with the 2015 version of uh, the silver medalist in the that year's <laughs> championship, Muddy Puddles. Muddy who, Puddles. Oh, oh, the great yeah. Muddy. Yeah. She could fly. Yeah. 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 Well, lest, lest we forget because we sent her out on a mission to deliver a message and she hasn't come back so um but yeah and, and for people crossed. not familiar with pigeon racing in new zealand they do consider her the uh the new zealand far lap and um yeah that's how that's how important she is to that <laughs> yeah. country well actually in in 2020 she that's actually still an essential service uh here it's actually that's our internet yeah, yeah. right yeah it's yeah. doing this via us. messenger pigeon right now are you yeah. I've got nineteen thousand pigeons running running at the moment, <laughs> just just to get this quality of HD up. Yeah, well, Nick, congratulations um, on on the chance of going to level three next yeah. week. Is it a hundred percent official? If there's a One spike week. between now and then, what happens? Um, <clears throat> no, yeah, Monday, no, Tuesday morning we go into level three. Um, so that means that we are allowed two hundred meters away from our house. Uh, as opposed to the 100 meters that is now so basically nothing changes we get to go to the beach i think and we get to go fishing from a wharf that's and pretty you good to, you get to fetch that ball that rolled outside the 100 meter it'd <laughs> <laughs> so, be really nice we finally get that frisbee back <laughs> um now tommy before we yes. get into this week's topic proper have yes. you got one of our wonderful five stars reviews that our listeners give us I do have a five-star review for you boys. Come um, on. It is from a, a gentleman or or, or, or a lady, um, obviously. <laughs> um, I don't hey, know not which... necessarily to hey. it's a modern well, it's world. Either, it's either Could someone be... who's just a bit up himself or I know what she wants for Christmas. Um, the name is Big Mort. Um, uh, Forrest Gump has never been so ellipsis. Um, five star review Forrest Gump once said life is like a box of chocolates you never know what you're gonna get well after listening to this podcast for the last few weeks I can say that the great man Forrest has never been so right the podcast is like a Cadbury favourites box that is filled with Turkish delights no one likes Turkish delights oh. but it's chocolate and you'll eat it anyway five stars 
Courtesy uh, of Big Mort. Hey, um, Big Mort, I, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Yeah. I, I, I'm a massive fan of Turkish Delight. I think it's yeah, great. Yeah, so am I, actually. I had a bit over Easter. Do you like the Turkish Delight that doesn't have the chocolate on it? You know, when it's just the... Oh, the white powder? That's yeah. called sugary jelly. Yeah, mm. do you like that version or do you prefer the chocolate? I'm not a massive chocolate guy, so I prefer <laughs> the... <laughs> All right, mate. Yeah. You also go for a 5K <laughs> jog every morning. Get on you. Yeah. Well, I was up at six. I was up at six pounding the pavement, mate. Yeah. With my fist. <laughs> Why? Why am I up at six? Yeah. Why am I up at six? Um, all right. So, Tommy, let's not, let's not waste any more time. What is mm. What are we in the light of, essentially, today? So, essentially, in the light of, um, we are talking about... Um, oh, so it's in the light of the, the, the um, Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, the Netflix doco. Um, it is a sort of a look back at their last their last season, the championship season, and in the light of that, we are looking at um, people who are sorry. What is it? I just had a mental blank, <laughs> mate. Hey, <laughs> you no, know, I'm just hey boys, just, you're hold, the best, just hold on, you're the best. you just nobody answer him. What is it, Tommy? You can do it. I've got faith in you, mate. <laughs> Look um, at your notes, Tommy. No, no, no. I don't want to because then I... Come re- on. Then it proves I've got Alzheimer's. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is... Oh, what is it? It is it. <laughs> Tommy! This is all you do all week now. you got nothing else. <laughs> and you can't even... One job. I tell you what, there's we- going to be another person fired. From, uh... <laughs> the person that's putting together Tommy's notes. Who did your yeah. notes? Why is, it, why is it all in Spanish? Consuela, <laughs> <laughs> you know I don't speak Spanish. Win at all costs, Tommy. Win, win at, at all costs. costs. Yes, win at all costs. It's um, people who go the extra mile to ensure that they win. Uh, yes. And Jordan was famous that for extra that. extra mile, uh, Tommy. He burned a lot of people in his time just to, to win those championships. So That's where it's come from today. Is it Michael Jordan is widely regarded as the most competitive win-at-all-costs athlete that has ever existed. That's right. So yes. we're going to take a look at some other athletes that mm. had that win-at-all-costs attitude. Barney, yes. I think you should lead us off. This week we're doing one honourable mention and yes. one main person. So who have you got? Uh, my honourable mention goes to the great Ayrton Senna, uh, legendary Brazilian uh, Formula One driver, um, known for being super competitive, obviously to his ultimate demise, um, dying on the racetrack. But that's not the story I want to tell about him. He is... Uh, He's renowned. He's renowned for his competitiveness in his home uh, country, Brazil. He had a farm where he built a go-kart track, which is where he started in his racing, go-karting. And um, it was... And I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I just love the story. Apparently, so what would happen was family and friends would come and he'd have these days where he'd race. And sometimes up-and-coming kart racers from Brazil, kids would come and they'd get to race with Ayrton on the track. And the story goes that Ayrton used to weight the karts so that none so of the that kids he would still win. Well, none of the kids deserve the unfair advantage of being lighter in the same sort of oh cart as him. God. So he'd weight the cart so the kids just couldn't beat Ayrton Senna. And uh, his his nephew Bruno, who was now Bruno was ten when um, Ayrton passed away. Bruno's gone on to he raced Formula singer. One himself. Yeah. Well, no, no, he made that movie. Yeah. <laughs> It's a fashion oh, oh, there's a fashion. Oh, fashion okay. Report. I thought it was he's, Bruno. He's Mars. done a lot. I'm concentrating yeah. on his on his uh, on his career as a racing driver. Um, yeah. But he said, as a child, he used to um, go out on the track with his uncle, and he he was talking about how his uncle liked to teach him what to do and what not to do through practice. And so they'd be out on the track, and his uncle wouldn't let him pass him. Every time he says, every time I tried to overtake him on the outside, he would just push me off the track. Wow. So this is a kid who's about eight at the time. That's <laughs> what you that, wanted an uncle, eh? Yeah, that's proper, proper competitive. Like, you, you don't want to be up, up done by, uh, uh, up, shown up, I should say, mm. by an eight-year-old kid. So A competitive uh, uncle is definitely better than a handsy uncle. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who I feel sorry for? Was the uh, late South African cricketer, Hansi Cronje. Because he mm. must have been an uncle. But he must have been known as a handsy uncle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uncle, uncle Hansy, they used to Hansy. call him. <laughs> but people who didn't know him, they'd be like, oh, are we oh, reporting yeah. him? 
<laughs> no, we just know him as Uncle Hansy. Oh, okay. That's a weird. Weirdly, not the scandal that saw his demise. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, it's funny you should mention cricket because my um my uh, person for this week is yep. none other than a cricketer, the great Australian cricketer, my personal hero as a child, uh, Mr. Stephen Roger Waugh. Um, I think we're all Steve War fans. Yeah, big uh, Tugger he, fans. Big, big Tugger fans. What was yeah. he good for? Well, what was he good well, for? Yeah. Well, Stephen captaining Wall. the world's best cricket side. Um, but he was known for his complete... Um, everything was a mental game with Steve War. He's, he's, he's a win-at-all-cost guy, but everything was a mental game, uh, and that was his own game. Um, I mean, I think we all remember his famous innings. Uh, I think it was his last innings at the SCG, known as the Steve War's perfect day. He's under the pump, basically batting for his test career. He comes in. Um, in that innings, he gets off the mark by hitting a four. Of course. Uh, he's playing against England. So he, uh, he gets to 50 by hitting a four. Um, he passed 10,000 test runs, only the third uh, test batsman at the time to ever do that. He did that by hitting a four. And the great bit of commentary, um, he was that brought him to uh, 69. He was on the score of 69. And the crowd obviously go, go uh, mental. And the great commentary from Richie Benno who goes... And the biggest ovations you'll ever hear for someone who's made 69. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> on the last ball of the day, he brings up his century with a four. Um, one of my favourite things. But it was it was a demonstration of his mental mastery. Now, he didn't mind just his own mental mastery. He liked to get in the minds of his opposition. Mm. Um, famously, we saw it earliest. Trinidad, 1993. Kirtley Ambrose bowling a brute of a... Uh, brute of a spell against Steve Waugh tries to intimidate him gives a bit of a st stare Steve Waugh gives him what the f*** are you looking at yeah. uh, Kirtley had to be pulled like had to be physically restrained from wanting to kill him um, mm. but got in Kirtley's head they had some great uh, uh, great battles over the years I've got to ask you did he say let's go to 1999 World Cup South Africa uh, against South Africa I should say did he uh, hit a catch to Herschel Gibbs? Did Herschel Gibbs drop it? Did he then say, you just dropped the World Cup? People say it's apocryphal. I don't care. I'd like to think he said it because that's the kind of uh, mental And then did Herschel say, yes, but we were paying 10 to 1? And I've just cleaned up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I think Hansy was the captain there. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Herschel, Mate, Herschel couldn't travel internationally for a long time. A lot of countries yeah. wanted to talk to Herschel. Uh, <laughs> now, let me, let me talk about... Because um, Steve Ward's Steve Ward's been critical for sledging. Like When, when Australia had uh, some incident in South Africa that I don't recall um a couple of years ago they would they would talk about the australian team's win at all costs mentality and a lot of people put it back to steve war's captaincy um but he had a policy of what he called mental disintegration um basically just do not let up you want to not only do you want to beat your opponent you want to beat them so badly that they don't think they can ever win they can ever beat you and um mm -hmm. i found a passage in his book uh his book called the meaning of luck um he's talking about um uh, in, in 2001, South Africa came out. They were trying to become the number one test side in the world, take the crown from the Australians. And they brought out a bloke called Nanty Haywood, who was a tearaway, uh, tearaway quick, um, could bowl around 150k an hour, very intimidating guy. So what's happened in the first test, um, Nanty's out uh, batting at number 11, not much of a batsman. Steve Waugh's got Brett Lee steaming in. Uh, he says... Brett, I want you to give him give him some of the short stuff. We want to intimidate him. We want to get in his head. Uh, as Steve tells it, he bowls two balls, and Nanty is just in all sorts. Then Steve says this. This is a direct quote from the book. I now had two options as captain. Should I instruct Brett to bowl at the stumps and take an easy wicket? Now, that would have closed the innings. Or should I inflict further mental interrogation on their <laughs> bowling spearhead by requesting a bit more chin music? I knew the whole South African team was watching, watching as they were getting ready to come out and field at the fall of the final wicket. To me, this was a golden opportunity to confirm our status as the dominant team. So I direct, uh, so I told Brett, direct the next bumper a couple of feet outside the batsman's leg stump. Now, I've managed to dig up the delivery that I think Steve's talking about here. And um, for those of you not 
not able to view this on the podcast. Basically, Nancy moves off the pitch. He's side, <laughs> and Brett follows him to the point where it misses Nancy, and Adam Gilchrist, the keeper, has no chance of getting it. It's that far down the leg side. Goes for four buys, um, but it's clear Nancy Haywood, not a comfortable man. Moore says, Haywood only bowled in one more innings of the series, taking two for 109 in our 10-wicket victory and not playing in Sydney. He hardly appeared in Test cricket again. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, wow. Brett Lee was the perfect sort of sidekick for Steve Waugh with that because yes. he, he's got a screw loose. Remember when um, he was on our show, mm. when Warney was on our show, yes. our, uh, The Night Watchman, and we showed the vision of in a charity match at like 150 kilometres an hour, Brett Lee bowled a beamer to Shane Warne and broke his hand. And then Warney couldn't bowl in the charity match. So it was at Lords. You had 20,000 people show up. Couldn't actually see Warney bowl. <laughs> Brett Lee, And it would have, been, would have been the last time they would have got the, the chance to see Yeah, right. bowl. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, and I remember the, the year before, the first season of our cricket show, when we were outside filming some filming some stuff where we, I think we were trying to take catches or we were batting and uh, we had Ian Healy. Yeah. And Brett Lee was just in a studio nearby doing some other stuff, saw that we were saw on a monitor that we were out there and said, I'm going to go out and kill those blokes. Uh, wanted to come out and bowl yeah. to us. He was bowling off about 15 feet. Yeah. And then I was going, yeah, get back. You can move back, move back. No, 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 no it's, it's fine. fine. And no, it's was fine. just trying to kill us. Yeah. Uh, now, I've got to ask you this, Nick, because... We obviously, as Australians, think mm. that that's genius from Steve Waugh. You, mm. uh, you break them down mentally, they never come back. New Zealanders, famous for being pussies. Um, <laughs> well, in cricket at least. Um, is that the sort of thing that would fly in New Zealand? No. I think, um, no, it's not. No, I don't think you'd get picked in the team. You'd get stood <laughs> down for that. You'd be like, mm. hey, come on. Um, back to your accountancy firm. Yeah, yeah. We all know he's an anti-boy. Uh, <laughs> his name is Nanty, uh, so we don't need to drive that home. He needs, it, if anything, when he's when he's building up. Um, so you guys give, would be encouraging him a few him. runs. Come yeah. on, Nanty, get off the yeah. mark. Come get on, get off Nancy. the mark, Nanty. We'll give him, you know. And then when he go back to the locker room, there'd be like a hamper. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be I'm, like I'm new stopping. pairs of underpants yeah. and like just Some really lovely things like fantastic like uh, South yeah, Island pinos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Turkish delight guys... with and without chocolate. Yeah, because his name's Nancy. You guys would want to build him up. I think you might be to, to blame for the career of Faf de Plessy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Thank God you uh, had nothing to do with Decock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Shall I go next, Barney? Is you that go. Right? You you know go. That was, all right. That was my guy. Very good. Now, my honourable mention. I uh, I want to take us into the world of cycling because we all Ooh. love it. Um, mm. And there was a, a, a cyclist by the name of Michel Polentier, who was a Belgian former professional cycle cycle cyclist. As we know, the Belgians. <laughs> They make a lot Professional of Professional psycho as well. <laughs> Professional. Yeah. He's now a baker. He has a, he has a small uh, collection of patisseries just around the y- world. Yes. Is that the same guy? <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Pontel's patisseries. Yeah. Now, he, was a very, he became professional in 1973. In 1977, won the Giro d'Italia, which I don't have to tell you guys. Grueling race. Yeah. Um, not en- not en- for the faint of heart. Yeah. yeah. No. Very tough. Then in 1978, Tour de France. He... Ooh. He's doing okay. Comes out stage sixteen, wins the yellow jersey during they uh, during the doping test. They suspect him of doing something because he is. They're watching him because they obviously go into the toilet to pee, and he's making a movement with his right arm like he's playing the bagpipes. Yeah, and they're like, okay. Um, have you not heard? Have you have you not heard Barney in the toilet? <laughs> 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 Oh, Danny boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, flower of Scotland. So they go, wait a sec, this bloke's not Scottish. And he looks like he's playing the bagpipes. He's up to something mm. here. Anyway, turns out under his armpit was a condom full of somebody else's urine. And he had had a pipe put down in the arm of his jersey. And he was oh. then using that to pee into the vessel. Now, I mean, the, that that's is win at all costs, vessel. right? Mm. So I, I'm wondering, did like was did he cycle for 150 miles with a condom full of urine under his armpit? 
Is that why his jacket was yellow? Was jersey? Yeah, that's right. He actually came fifth. <laughs> yeah. <But. laughs> that was the yellow jersey. Oh, that's why there was. That's why he was not in the. He, like he he was out the front because no one wanted to be part of his peloton. Like they're all like, this guy reeks, man. <laughs> He's like, how am I winning this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spray's back on him. Oh, mate, stop it! It's in my eyes. Um. Anyway, he ended up basically getting run out of the game but in good news he inherited his parents bar beautiful so great hey. yeah. Yeah. all's well that ends well we- weirdest urinals ever in that <laughs> bar <by the> way. <laughs> yeah he just he throw you a condom and say there you go see you there. <laughs> uh, now my main one that I'm going to go is uh, the 1978 world chess championships now Love I know chess. you guys know this story but a lot of people at home <laughs> might not uh, chess is chess is a was a big game in the seventies, almost as big as the squash without the swinging. You know, it was mm-hmm. people wouldn't really, they, yeah, it was massive. And the at the spearhead of that was the Soviet Union. So since second since the Second World War, only up until recently, the Soviets held every chess world championship title except for nineteen seventy five when Bobby Fischer won it. <laughs> the American. Oh. Right? Yeah, it's That's Bobby right. Fisher. Yeah, Bobby the great, <laughs> the greatest grandmaster of all time, Bobby Fisher. Is a, there's, I think there's a great documentary a great about it. Documentary about it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very on YouTube, sick. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so he, he was the only time that he won it. The Russians, uh, especially the Soviets, famous for a few things: famous mm. for espionage, mm. famous for dancing bears, famous for mm. ice fishing, but mm. more than anything, famous for chess and dominating. So I guess to 1978. It's the World Championships and it's being held at Baguio. I don't think I'm saying that right. Yep. In the Philippines. Turns out it's two blokes from the Soviet Union up against each other. Anatoly yep. Karpov, who at the time was kind of the poster boy for chess in the Soviet Union. A bit of a handsome yeah. fellow. Had a yeah. bit of a, a fancy do. Young. On his way up to become a grand chess master. Everybody loved him. The Soviets behind him. Oh, on the other side... In Russia, he could move any way he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Was, it, was he known as a queen, was he? It's <laughs> <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Rook to L4, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he was very into porn. <laughs> Victor, the bloke up against him, Victor Kochnoy, he was yeah. known as the horse, but nothing to do with chess. <laughs> anyway. He, um, so Victor yeah, Kochnoy, I'm probably saying his <laughs> name wrong. He, uh, yeah. two years earlier, 1976, he defected from the Soviet Union. He was like, I don't want to be a part of you anymore. He was trying to get status in either the Netherlands or in Switzerland. Neither would let him be a citizen. So at the time, he was stateless. Now, he didn't leave the Soviet Union. It wasn't for political reasons. It was just because he literally couldn't get on the Soviet chess team. He was the third best in the country. And so he was like, well, if you're not going to put me in, then I'm going to go live somewhere else. The Swiss, who obviously famous for... Uh, what are they famous for? Hiding Nazi gold, army, army knives, knives, chocolate. Uh, um, that They also yeah. are very famous. They're very tight on their citizenship. So he, they were like, at the yeah. time, we, we know you're going into this chess world championship. We're still not giving you citizenship. So he sat under a stateless flag, which is basically blank, white. And then sitting on the other side was Karpov, who was obviously from the Soviet Union. Now, this is when we get into win at all costs, right? Because the Soviets at the time... We're like, we cannot let this bloke that is defected, that has left us, beat our golden boy. So, anyway, it kicks off, 1978. There's a big crowd gathered. They're sitting there. The the first controversy that happened was uh, Grant... Let me guess. He got to the end and tried to king his player. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said, king me. (laughs) Wrong game. (laughs) (laughs) He said, connect four. Yeah. <laughs> Mouse trap. <laughs> no, so what happened was it's 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 even more out there than that. So basically, twenty fifth move of game two. You know, everybody yep. knows that's an important move. All of a sudden, waiter brings a glass of violet covered yogurt, violet coloured yogurt to Karpov in the middle of the playing table while they're playing. Of course, Korchnoi goes, wait a second, hang on. So they were sending, basically they were cheating and they were sending a message to Karpov saying, so there was different flavors of yogurt based on what he should do. So they were saying, 
pull back, play defensive because he's got this move coming up because they'd all worked it out. So then, of course, wow. Kutchner is like, hey, you can't send yogurt to him. You know, that, that's illegal. <laughs> yeah. And then so the kitchen goes, well, hang on a second. We're, we'll send yogurt <laughs> whenever we want. Yeah. So it became this massive big yogurt controversy. So at the end, they had to stop the tournament for a bit. And then the, official, the officials came out and said, okay, yogurt can be brought to either player at any time as long as it's not a violet shade or blueberry. So they could get vanilla, they could get a strawberry whenever they wanted as long as it wasn't blueberry. So that, so that was the Soviets yeah. cheating. Second thing that they did, oh, this is outstanding. So basically what the Soviets did was they got a mind control expert. So a guy called um, Here we go. Vladimir Zuka, who was yeah. basically regarded as the greatest hypnotizer in the world. Still is. Yeah. Still is. Still yeah. is. Is he still kicking about old Vlad? <laughs> Vlad the Stera? So they sat him in the audience in the direct eyeline of old Korchnoi and just got him to stare Korchnoi down and put <laughs> oh thoughts into his head, basically saying, to... I will lose, I will lose, I will lose, I will lose. This guy's not only now has to play chess, but has to win a staring competition. <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like, I mean, there are reports of Korchnoi at one point asking for a break, going into the bathroom and like looking into the mirror going, why am I telling myself to lose? Like he got into his Looking in the mirror going, oh, this bloke's doing it too. He's staring at me too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, so so then of course, Team Korchnoi is like, well, we can't have one mind control expert. I'm going to go and find my own. So he went and got two. He got... He got two members of the Ananda Marga yoga cult, a guy called yep. Stephen Dwyer. Ananda Marga. Yeah, you know them, yeah? Yes, they were involved. Well, they, there was the allegations are involved in the Hilton bombing, the Ananda Marga. Well, old Korchnoi drags them in to sit on the other side to stare <laughs> oh at Karpov. So was they, what? Was, yeah, Chiss, so, was Chess heavily funded back in, in the 70s? Like, it, was, it feels like a hey, lot of effort. No, Chess was massive and there was a big <laughs> crowd. It was blockbuster it was on at 8 p.m on a saturday night it was it was everybody was going there it was it was like it's a yeah. knockout in australia while well, we were doing it's a knockout yeah. the soviet union was doing chess um at one point they stopped the tournament to because the kgb had informed karpov that coach noise 1300 chair that he brought in had devices within it that was helping him win chess wow they, they just lost their minds completely do you know what this is a lot of effort to finish second well anyway three and a half months it goes on for this championship what yes three and a half months of this back and forth back and forth win at all costs Karpov ends up winning six to five Soviets win Vladimir the Stera has done his job Mm. hail the Soviet Union Korchnoi disappears into non-existence so wow wow what a great what a great! I didn't know that story to be honest. You didn't? I knew, no, I, didn't, I knew the Fisher he won and it was yeah. like a big deal, but I didn't know about the steering. I didn't realize the lengths that people would go to to win, and also I didn't realize that there was a professional like you could make money in steering. You, you would have made a lot of money in your teenage years down at the beach. Yeah. <laughs> you got to look him in the eye, though, Nick. You got to yeah, look him in the look eye. In the eye. That was my secret. Yeah. <laughs> the thoughts were bouncing off and then bouncing off yes. and then going up to a different area. <laughs> uh, all right, who's next, Nick or Tom? Uh, Tommy. Yeah, guys. Um. So my honourable mention. Uh, mm. goes to it's not necessarily well it is a professional sport but they're not necessary you don't have to be a professional in order to participate in the Hawaiian Ironman on the big mm. island um, so we're going back to 1997 uh, two female iron women uh, Sean Welsh uh, from San Francisco and Wendy Ingram uh, from M- Michigan I think it's said um, Michigan, yes, that's Michigan. how it's pronounced. <laughs> Michigan. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Michigan. Yeah, Michigan. Um, yeah. yeah, so they were they were running in the uh, they were they were two of the best iron women in the world at that time. They were actually coming first and second in the race, uh, and then disaster struck. Uh, halfway through the race, uh, Sean Welsh, she lost her salt tablets. They fell out of her oh, her, her her pants or the little pants they wear. Uh, the running equipment, and she lost her salt tablets and started cramping. Her whole body started cramping with about with about sort of three miles to go in the race. And the same thing happened to Wendy Ingram, and they were coming one and two 
they oh, started no. getting passed by by the people who were third and fourth, and they they were now You've been in... picking up salt tablets the whole <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> They were now in <laughs> positions four and five and disaster fully struck. Their bodies started shutting down. And I've mm. actually got the vision here. Um, <laughs> and it's actually, I thought it was very funny that they've, they've actually paired this vision up, which actually in its, in its entirety isn't that funny because these people's bodies are shutting down. <laughs> but as soon as you put it to the music of Steptoe and Sons... It becomes <laughs> hilarious, and you can see when you can see Wendy Ingram. She's trying to chase down Sean Welsh, and she's running like she's got the world's worst chafe. <laughs> and their bodies just give up on themselves. And with about a hundred feet left in the race, they fall to the ground. And Wendy Ingram passes Sean Welsh by crawling to the finish line. Oh, you're oh. It turns out that Sean Welsh lost her salt tablets. And Wendy Ingram started the race with a virus and thought what? I could run it out, I could run it, sweat it out. Mm. And she gave herself meningitis halfway through the race. Like, so she pumped her blood, her body full of, of infected oh, blood and her body just started shutting down. Her muscles started turning to liquid. Like it was just insane. But you put that to Stepto and Son and it's funny. Yeah. Is this what you said? <laughs> it's the funniest thing. If you are watching uh, the, the vodcast, you if you don't laugh, then you're not human. Like I was, <laughs> in research, I was howling myself at yeah. these two people's lives being torn to shreds. They never ran again. But I was just like, <laughs> you put it to Steptoe and Sons, it was brilliant. Okay, yeah. I, I, that was my honorable mention. Yeah, very good. Um, my, my main story is a person that I, I, I can't stand. I would go as far to say as I despise. Um, Nick Ratto. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I have He's achieved really a lot. really competitive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as you can see. Um, Tom Brady uh, oh. of former New England Patriots fame, now of... At the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> now yeah. down in Florida, so he can oh. go near Robert Kraft's R&T joint. Um, yep. He plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's a big fan of the old Oriental Orchard. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think where credit where credit's due, the guy is a, a phenomenal athlete and the world's most uh, competitive. He's up there in like Jordan territory of competitiveness, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, player, a, a player that he played with, a guy called Darrell Rivas, is one of one of the best sort of defensive backs in uh, in in NFL history. Uh, they called him the Island because no one could could get near him. Or like mm. once you were on Revis Island, you, you, your balls were oh. getting swatted away. And I thought what? it was because he was a real fan of that Simon and Garfunkel song. He just <laughs> yeah, played yeah, it a yeah, lot yeah. in the in the locker room to get psyched up. Yeah, and I've got I a quote. I am a rock. <laughs> I've got a quote from Darrell, Darrell Revis, who who actually ended up playing for the Patriots for a couple of seasons. And mm. he, this is what he said about himself and Brady: Some of us great players, we have a sickness about just trying to be the best, trying to be the best at our craft trying anything we can do to be awesome and elite. I think he has a sickness. That dude is sick. So it's one of those things <laughs> I, where it's... Really good acting, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. Did, you, you, got, you did you play the audio the clip? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I and mean, scene. It was like it was there. <laughs> wow. It was like it was there. Um, but mine's not so much a story. I've just got like a list of little anecdotes that would just prove the fact that uh, Tom Brady We asked is... for a story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is oh, a story. They all link. Yeah, they all link. well, <laughs> we might have to... No, okay, here we go. On you go. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so a player that he used to play with, uh, Danny Amendola, said Brady was famous on road trips for breaking ping pong paddles after he lost. So he used to go from hotel to hotel wow. just breaking amenity, like That's whenever a... he lost. He used to break ping pong uh, ping pong rackets. Was he playing uh, ping pong at the time, or was he? he... No, it was weird. It was playing. Yeah, he, he just chess. he carries several of them, and whenever you beat him at anything, you <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. no. He's also a, he's been called a psychotic competitor at backgammon. He uh, he threw backgammon sets. Backgammon. Across, yeah, he threw a backgammon set across a hotel lobby. Uh, they, uh, they are hard Damien to break Hearn. across your knee, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was, uh, yeah, I mean, backgammon is a dangerous one, though. If you're throwing it in a hotel lobby, it's like a shotgun. There's like little bits. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you're going to collateral damage. Um, he said, uh, Bill Belichick, he played a round of golf with Bill Belichick at Pebble, Pebble Beach in, uh, in, actually, I believe that's in Florida, too. And it got to the point where he was so 
precise about everything that he couldn't lose a golf ball. He officially would not allow himself to lose a golf ball. Got no. to a point where he climbed over the barricades onto a, onto a 100-foot foot, uh, foot cliff top and got his caddy to hold a 9-iron while Tom Brady held on the other end of the 9-iron, the reached down to collect his golf ball that was out of bounds. So he oh was he, he got to the point where he was so he was so sort of I mean do you reckon, do you reckon he deflated that golf ball and he didn't want to <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he deflated it. I mean I can't stand it. Um, basically it went, it started at a very young age as well, his sort of psychotic behaviours. He used to get his mum over to make it's actually like a scene out of Mom, meatloaf. He used to get his mum to make meatloaf and brought all his school friends over from the football team. And they used to watch film at the age of 14, which is like so normal. Um, <laughs> Hang on, I, we were all watching a certain type of film at 14. <laughs> yeah. Tommy, is that what Get you mean? Yeah, yeah. No, he was watching other people manhandle quarterbacks. Like it was... It yeah, was right. <laughs> I think that's the same one James is talking yeah. about. Mm. Yeah. No, 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 no. He was watching pass rushes. Yours was um, without the P. <laughs> 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 Ass rushes. Oh, <laughs> hey, that's very quick. Um, yeah. So he and then when he got to when he got to Michigan, he got uh, he Michigan. Michigan. He actually dated uh, Wendy Ingram. Um, no, uh, he, he he um was the seventh string quarterback at at the University of Michigan, and he was so unhappy with that he hired himself a psychiatrist that came three days a week to his oh. dorm room and talk to him about how he could become great and 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 was i and know this it was a russian guy called zukov uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah specialized in mind control yeah. um and slipping laxatives into dorm meals uh it was he he um kept the stub from when he got drafted i mean he got drafted in the sixth round and it was called a compensatory pick so i mean that's not the greatest name to the new england patriots he was the 199th pick overall, um, and he still to this day has that the the draft stub on his computer because uh. it was just it was it was what epitomised how competitive he is. It was like no one wanted me, and look where I am now. Mm. Um, he when he forgot his first starting snap at the Patriots when Drew uh, Drew Bledsoe got uh, got <laughs> injured, he walked onto the field and literally the first thing he said to the offensive line was like, "That guy's not getting his f-ing job back." Oh, that was wow. that was um it's pretty insane. Wow. And the other thing, you ever you all think he's robotic and all that. The one thing I do like about him is he he he's been quoted to say he likes he likes the F bomb. He's uh, he feels like that is the big valve release for him. And I've actually got um I got I got some vision I got some vision here of him using the F bomb and being a bit of a spoiled brat on the sideline. Um but while that vision's running for the people watching the vodcast, I'm going to read a little excerpt that, uh, that came from an interview that he did. Um, so this was entitled, Brady relieves his anger like with, with a good F-bomb tirade. I wish I, did have, I, did, I wish I did have a better mouth out there at times, but there's nothing quite ex- like expressing yourself with that word. It's a great word, the interviewer says. It is, it is, <laughs> especially in the heat of mo- in the moment. You're not allowed to say at home, I bet, Tom. No, I don't say it at home. Of course not. I'm pretty well filtered at the house. Blame CBS and NBC for putting it on TV. Don't blame me. We're, we're not choir boys out here. It just certain level of intensity gets me going and I just like to say F you, F that. <laughs> so basically he's a potty mouth you, That was, um, I was, it was like I was watching anything. Tom Brady. You are <laughs> yeah, 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 I, mean, yeah, I know range. my jaw's pretty chiseled. Um, hey, by the way, how good is it hearing Jordan say the F-bomb on this new documentary. It's the best. Because you see these people and you you held them in this sort of like high and you're actually like, these guys are just dirtbags. Oh, and he's sitting there having a scotch and just saying (laughs) F-bomb. And a stogie. Yeah, have you been watching? <laughs> have you been watching that scotch? The level on that scotch just drop and drop, rise. Yeah, <laughs> and then, then the pirate talk starts coming in. The more he oh, drinks, um, and Scotty Pippen, Scotty Pippen swearing with his voice is yes. so deep, and him saying the f bomb. And when they interview Oakley, it looks like he's had a couple of buttery shards oh, before filming. Very good. Yeah. But yeah, so I um my 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 thing was to prove to everybody that that Tom Brady is is a psycho. Um, he's to the point, and I think this is the perfect way to cap it off. 
Brady was driven to succeed so much that he actually sacrificed upwards of $80 million contract-wise in order for the Patriots to keep building good teams around him. So he would go as far to, to sacrifice huge sums of money to ensure that the team that he played with were relatively incompetent. Uh, were relatively well, if incompetent. you think about so, it, how smart is that, though? Because he's now mm-hmm. got six titles, and for the rest of his life, he'll be known as the greatest player of all time. So he will make that money back, plus... Oh, without a doubt. But I'm sure the time when he made those decisions, he wouldn't have been 100%... Sure. Like, that was that was yeah. before he'd won his six, all his six rings. And, yeah. Doesn't... Doesn't hurt though that your wife's bringing in ninety mil on her own. Like it's not like they were really going. Oh, we need that extra yeah, money. That's yeah, true. I, know. I mean, yeah. the only reason why he's moved to Tampa is because she wanted a a house in a warmer climate. Is a that true? Climate. Yeah, uh, one of the big reasons why he went was because she was sick of living in, yeah, right. in Foxborough, Massachusetts. I don't blame her. Mm. Uh, oh, all right. Shout out to all our listeners in Foxborough. <laughs> Grant Gronkowski. He's uh, Gronkowski. He, again. He's got his way again, Brady. Gronkowski signed, signed with the Bucks, so I mean, I guess the goat, the goat, continue his reign of terror on the NFL. Now, do you think that you've proven, without a shadow of a doubt, that he's a psycho and people should hate him, Tom? I I believe that my research is good enough to to suggest that people should hate him. Um, mm. uh, if you live in either Tampa Bay, Foxborough, whichever residence he now resides mm. in, I'm not saying do it, but I'm I'm saying. Um, yeah. Eggy's house. I, I, I feel like it. if you're a massive fan of table tennis, you would definitely hate him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, least... how can you not? Ha- how can you not dislike yeah, a person that claims avocado ice cream as a cheat meal? Like that just screams. <laughs> well, I didn't know on, that was. Going that's on. on my research. I didn't read it because I didn't want people to like go to his house and stuff. He but... won't eat strawberries either because they're a nightshade. Oh, oh God. believes they cause inflammation. Oh yeah. my god! I tell you, his bloody eye will be inflamed if I ever meet him in person. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I can't wait for little five with foot a, eight Tommy to meet with six a step foot five Tom Brady. Go listen yeah. here, mate. Listen yeah. here, mate. Avocado ice cream, you. <laughs> All right, very good. Tom Brady's a jerk. That's mate. The the prosecution yep. rests. Hey Nick, bring us yep. home. <laughs> sure. Well, you guys are all chatting, and I know this podcast is about winning at all costs. But I'm going to bring up the ultimate uh, of this uh, in a reverse manner, which is the 2010 New Zealand football team called the All Whites. The the world conquering. <laughs> the All Whites. The All Whites. They talk about a team that won at all costs. That that's other people. These guys, <laughs> these guys didn't lose at all costs. So this is going to be something, this is my honourable mention, this is going to be something that's been brought up in pubs and, and clubs and stuff around the world. This if will be trivia, trivia <laughs> questions. There'll be trivial pursuit questions named uh, uh, in, in this honour. So in 2010, the All Whites made it to the World Cup for the first time in 23, 25 years. And, um, Where was that World Cup? Uh, that was in um, yeah, South Africa. South Africa. It was yeah. South Africa. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yes. And Good so point, they buddy. went over there as the all whites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. favourites, I bet. Yeah. Amongst certain sections <laughs> of the crowd. As favourites. They went in as favourites. They were, they were the people's favourites. Uh, <laughs> the people's champs. Um, but, um, in one section of the crowd, anyway. They went over there. Um, they had a very tough uh, qualification route. They had to beat Bahrain, obviously, uh, to mm. go through. And you'll all remember um, this magical, I've got the footage here, this magical moment where Rory Fallon um, scored the winning header off a corner, a set piece, uh, to go 1 0 up. And, you know, the, the whole nation went up. It was fantastic. Bahrain then got a penalty. If they had got the penalty, if they had scored the penalty, they would have won, went through to the World Cup on away goals. And then, uh, you know, we saved that and we went through and it was fantastic. And what happened is we um, we drew against Slovakia, one all in the first game. Winston Reid, last minute header, boom. Then he becomes the captain of West Ham. Then we went up 1 0. 1 0. Immediately. Against, immediately. Amazing. That was the prize. <laughs> I love how you're talking about. I love how you're talking about an occurrence that all it did was made New Zealanders briefly take their attention off the TV watching rugby. Yeah. For like uh, a split second, they're like, "Oh, oh, what? Yeah, cool. It was huge. We um, it was. Oh, uh, they should pick that ball up and run with it, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
They don't have any post save room. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, just basically said to the rugby guys, we should work on our kicking. <laughs> uh, that was all it was. It was kicking practice, basically, for us for a little bit. Then the big, the big one, ladies and gentlemen, we went one 0 up against Italy, and then we parked oh, the bus. I remember that. Parked the Dude, bus, yeah, and yeah. then uh, Italy got a, a penalty again, a, a penalty against us, and it was you know Italy the, milking a penalty, milking that a penalty, went to one all, and then it went down to uh, to the last game against Paraguay, and boy, did we not look like scoring. At all <laughs> <laughs> for 90 minutes of a game that if we just win one one nil we would have went through to the second round of the world cup boy do we not want to lose that game and so um we uh so we drew so basically what happened was um we didn't go through to the next round but if you remember that year spain won yes. spain won the world cup yeah. but they lost in the first round to switzerland one nil and so therefore the whole the whole competition, New Zealand, were the only team that were undefeated. Hence, why their DVD in 2011 of the whole campaign was called Undefeated. Can I, can I, can I just say, Nick, oh, what is it my God. with New yeah. Zealand and getting the exact same score as Celebrating other teams? Mediocrity. Look at the Cricket World Cup. Draw yeah. again. And yeah. then look at when undefeated. India just came and played in New Zealand. And how many... Yeah. How many times did it go oh, to the Super Over? Is it three? Three. Three times, yeah. They just... And like celebrating mediocrity is like so... Mm. That is... It's but great. it's so Kiwi to be just like, oh, no, don't go past to me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we can, oh, all, we we can both be good. winners. We can both win. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Hey, shake hands. Let's... Oh, what do you mean Super Over? Oh, bullshit. <laughs> it was Super, wasn't it? It was great. <laughs> oh, there's lots of Super Overs. Uh, there were some really good ones. We had 20 of them. It just means it, it just means that we can play the game that we love a little bit longer. Yeah, that's all, that's all, that's you're all. just looking for extra time. <laughs> just, just, just we don't get to play much, time. so we you know we don't we often have to borrow some balls and gear. So we're just happy to be it's, out there. It's the um, old Kiwi saying: it's not whether you win or lose. Yeah, it's finishing with the exact same score. <laughs> getting to play important. for a little bit longer. <laughs> getting play for a little bit longer, and uh, we're yeah. ultimately happy. But that's my honourable mention. But the uh, the biggest, uh, the number one uh, winning at all costs, ladies and gentlemen, that I want to talk about is the 1972 uh, USSR Olympic basketball oh, team. Soviet the, um, yes, the Soviet Swishers. What is Swishers. it with the Soviets in that so like in that era? Just wanting well, they're to all drug all cheating, so they won everything. Well, so this was the opposite though, right? Because in, it was the opposite to the chess. So as much as the USSR had won all the uh, competitions previously to this, America in basketball had won all the gold medals previously to that. Mm. And so it was 1972. It was a tough fought final. Um, it got down to the point where I think it was about uh, like a, a minute to go. And there was a guy called Doug Collins who um, intercepted one of the Russian... Um, uh, passes or, or um, yeah, it was a pa- pass from the uh, the USS. Do you call it the Soviets? Yeah, the Soviets. And what are we talking the, chess pass or bounce pass, mate? Uh, let's, was, let's get like detail. A, we know that people love the swishes. On it, was it was a nineteen seventy. It was nineteen seventy. So it was a. It was nineteen seventy. So it was a hook pass. Hook pass. Wow. <laughs> Everyone was hook passing over the top. <laughs> yeah, over the top. <laughs> And um, and so anyway, so uh, the uh, the Soviets saw that he was going to score and therefore go up to you know by two points in the last few minutes of the game. So they, not only did they foul him, but they knocked him out. <laughs> so knocked they, him out. Yeah. So they basically pushed him, like fouled him so much that he hit his head onto the like um, onto the padding below the hoop, and that force of that he was uh, concussed for a, like good three or four seconds. And then the coach of the USA team said, if he can get up, he's going to take, he's going to make those free throws, right? And so he got up, he made the free throws. America's. Um, That's not uh, bad, severely concussed. Oh, mate, yeah. He was, I mean, let's be when, honest, he hit his head on the padding, grow yeah, up. Yeah, the, yeah. So basically, uh, as he's going to the free throw, the, uh, the Soviets, they call for a timeout, but the ref doesn't see it. So he sinks the two free throws, and yep. therefore there's one second left on the clock. But. The Soviets said, no, we called for timeout for three seconds, right? So they inbound it, and the one second goes off. They lose the game. America celebrates. But it's because um, uh, the officials 
the Russian it was in Russia, so the Russian officials said no, we this isn't right. We'll reset it to three seconds. So they reset it to three seconds, got the Russians to inbound it again. Oh my god! They Are threw you the they threw the ball in. So they re, they they just put a couple extra seconds on. They threw the ball yeah. full court. Russians got lucky. They ended up um, getting a like a high tip off down by the the, the other end by the court. <laughs> they tip it back tip down off. to the high tip off, mate. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> then, then then one of the uh, uh, one of the guy, the Russian guys did, did a swisher, and yep. uh, they they ended up winning the game. And then Russia won uh, to the point. And then these the Americans refused to. Um, pick up their silver medals so there was um so the uh so <laughs> they, they refused to pick up the silver medals so they didn't um go to the uh, to collect them what i love about this story is that not only were the team going like willing to go the extra mile but officials were going to win at any cost <laughs> yeah wow very good there you go winning at all costs yeah mm. wow. cracking cracking it's podcast. weird that the soviets featured so uh heavily <laughs> well because <laughs> you know what and, and I, i'm really glad that now that they've gone back to being you know mm. a democracy russia that it doesn't happen anymore yeah exactly That's right yeah um all right well that was the podcast uh thank you mm. all very much yeah. barney tom and nick Another cracking episode. Just a reminder, we are on Facebook and KO if you want to see the podcast. Also, uh, get on our socials at Narrow World of Sport on both Instagram and Facebook. And then on Twitter, we're at Narrow World OS. Um, and then finally, get on there. Give us a five-star review. Um, yeah. Tell us what you Ripping think of the Tommy. show. Absolutely. And the other thing we want you to do this week is we want you to recommend us to someone who you think really mm. wouldn't like this podcast. Just as a joke. Just and tell know, us who that is. And yeah. tell us yeah. who that is. Yeah. <laughs> recommend it to your to your mother in law. Recommend it to your priest. Um, yeah. Whoever you want. You're Russian. You're Soviet from the Soviet yeah. Union. Yeah, that's right. Anybody that thinks highly and fondly of the Soviets. Um, and that's about it. All right, we will uh well, Tommy's set still falling apart behind him there. Um, but that's us. <laughs> We'll see, see you real soon. <laughs> Thank see you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>